This is Music Ed Amplified. Hey there, everyone. It's been a while. You have landed once again at Music Ed Amplified, where we tackle what it's like to be a music educator in the real world. We talk about pedagogy, curriculum, different programs, and generally balancing our work and home lives, as well as frequently taking on issues of race, equity, justice, and inclusion. Today's guest is Miriam Capayan, a pre-K through fifth vocal and general music teacher in Arlington, Virginia. Miriam has a bachelor's degree in music ed from Boston University, a master's degree in creative arts and learning from Lesley University, and is currently working toward a second master's in music ed with a Kodai emphasis. She is a national board certified teacher and a Kennedy Center Changing Education Through the Arts certified educator. Miriam is a board member for the Virginia Organization of Kodai Educators, a member at large of the National Association for Music Education's Composition Council, and a member of the Choral Committee and Media Committee for the Feyerabend Association for Music Education. We actually recorded this episode a few months ago, and in the time since then, and by the way, this is something I truly appreciate about her process, Miriam has grappled with whether or not creating a list of action items, something we discuss in the conversation, is a truly effective method for real change in the classroom. As we considered how best to tackle this after the fact, I asked her if she wouldn't mind writing out her thoughts so that I could share them with you before you listen to the interview. Here's what she said. In this episode, Missy and I discussed having a list of action items to hold ourselves accountable as we strive to become anti-racist educators. However, I've come to realize that focusing too much on lists and falling into the trap of simply checking things off in order to be done with these goals is not a great approach. True equity work is never done and must include continual self-examination and examination of the institutions in which we work. I believe that having personal and professional action items in mind is important, but not nearly as important as critical self-evaluation, listening, communicating, and collaborating in a community of like-minded anti-racist educators. Miriam, I agree wholeheartedly, and I'm very thankful to you for always being a thoughtful practitioner who's willing to grow and learn on the journey. And speaking of the journey, let's get right to the interview to learn more about hers. Miriam, welcome to the podcast. I am um, so pleased that you were able to make some time for us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, you too. And I think we've been interacting for years, and I don't know that we've ever really seen each other, have we? Or have we? You're going to tell me we had lunch together or something, and I'm going to feel real embarrassed. <laughs> Not really. No, <laughs> we, we didn't. I saw you briefly at um, an event Conference. in New Jersey. Ah, okay. Okay. Which one was it? Do you remember? Um, oh, gosh. It was, okay. a, it was a fame event. Yeah, maybe for um, the Mid-Atlantic. Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, yes. Okay. And I think I brought cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> Yay. Because I, I kind of wanted to impress you a little bit. <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> that's a good way to do it. Let's just put that out there for everyone. <laughs> Any kind of like afternoon tea, you know, thing is sure to like capture my heart. 
We, we got to have some tea sometime. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I just found a place near my house. Not only do they have afternoon tea, they deliver afternoon tea. What? My husband is none too happy with that discovery. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so how the heck is that COVID teaching going for you? Well, I teach elementary music um, and I teach chorus. And so the county where I teach is right across the Potomac River from Washington, D.C. So I live in D.C. and then I commute over to Virginia um, in the normal times. (laughs) Right, normally. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I'm kind of at a unique school um, because it's a public school that services all the students in our county. Um, And kids get in by a lottery. Oh, Um, And one of the tenets of the school is that all students take an instrument and all students sing in fourth and fifth grade chorus. Nice. So that kind of makes it a little bit different, a little unique. Yeah. What about uh, First Steps and Conversational Soulfish? Because I know you use both programs, yes? I do. Um, How are you if you are forwarding this kind of instruction during COVID? Um, You know, for me, it looks really different right now. Just because I am seeing the kids, I feel like less time. The class is so short. Yeah. It's 30 minutes and it's kind of, then it's What was it before? I would usually see them for 45 minutes. Okay. Once a week? Yeah. Okay. Once a week. I would have them for 45 minutes, kindergarten through third grade normally. Okay. Twice a week. Oh, twice a week? Yeah. That's nice. In the before times. Yes. Um, (laughs) Wow. Which was is really nice. So it's yeah. definitely, you know, I feel like I can do a lot less, of course, mm. now. Yeah, I think uh-huh. everybody's in that situation. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, but back to first steps in conversational soulfish. How's that going and, and what, if anything, are you doing uh, with that? Sure. Um, well, I have to say... In these COVID times, I'm really kind of more focused on first steps activities with all my students. Sure. Because I definitely feel like my first priority has to be helping kids feel safe and included and then getting them to explore their creativity and musicality. Um, So notation has honestly not really been a big priority, priority for me this year. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. And then at the same time, you know, we're in COVID and at the same time as that, I feel like we can't ignore the fact that students are very well aware of what's happening culturally right now, right? Yeah, there's a lot. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, especially our Black, Brown and Indigenous students, if we're attempting to do some sort of trauma-informed teaching that doesn't recognize what they might be going through right now, I think that's not going to be very effective So that's kind of in my mind. Do you mind kind of telling me what that means, trauma-informed teaching? Sure. Um, I'll try my best. Sure. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course. I understand that. My impression is that um, in trauma-informed teaching, kind of like I said, that you want to first make sure that you're making these connections with kids and that they're, they're feeling safe and they're feeling like they can express themselves and talk about their feelings. And, um, you know, maybe you're having some mindfulness activities, community building, um, that kind of thing. So you're aware that this is not a a normal time and that kids Mm -hmm. are probably coming to you with some things going on. Okay. 
so that's that's my kind of just yeah your overarching <laughs> yeah yeah no I mean that's really interesting I've I definitely have heard the phrase before but I don't know enough about it like many things so mainly you're focusing on first steps not really doing I'm I'm barely doing anything if anything and I've said this now a few times. I'm doing review of things just as a little padding for next year. That's my approach so far. And I know that you have been a member of the fame community for a while. I mean, I feel like you've been there for most of my ride, you know, so far. And I'm curious, what was it about the resources, whether it was first steps you saw first or conversational soulfish that initially drew you into the philosophy when you first came across it? Um, sure. Now that you mention it, um, I think I've been around in the first steps kind of area, like maybe six or seven years. Okay. Which I guess is a while. It doesn't feel that yeah. long to me. But the first thing that really drew me to conversational solfege was really seeing, I think, the create step of the 12 steps. Okay. I, re I really, really like that part of it. Yeah, it's um, such a great, and it's a crucial step too, so. Yes, definitely, and so getting there is important, right, yeah. but um, I just really wanted to use the 12 steps to get my students to be able to come up with their own music, because that's been sort of a focus in, in my career, is I really want, want kids to be like, hey, I'm, I can be a musician, I can right. create music, I can be a sure. composer. That's awesome. Okay. So is that what, that's the main thing that drew you in? Initially. And then when I learned more about first steps, I really, really liked that approach because I love the movement exploration. It's probably my favorite part. Yeah. Definitely become a big um, Jane Cahan fan, probably because I grew up dancing. Um, my, my mother was a professional dancer. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So I grew up, you know, with her costumes everywhere my grandmother like hand sewed all of her costumes so we had right. these tutus around the house and right um, she did flamenco for a long time so oh, that's had, like giant batas yes and I, I you know I, I just think it's really powerful to get a chance to meet kids who maybe don't have that experience anywhere else or, yeah. or maybe they do, maybe in their, 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 their house and they're making up, you know, their mini ballets and mini dances and you can have them use that as a learning experience in school. Sure, hey, this sure. Is, this is important. You, need, you can work on this. This is something you can get better at and become skilled yeah. at. In the past few years, I've noticed that you've become more vocal, and I mean this as a compliment, <laughs> on different social media platforms because we follow each other you address things like what you brought up before, things like trauma-informed teaching, racism, gender. I'm so interested in hearing how you came to a point where you realized that these things were so important that you had to address them in front of and to colleagues, even when it must certainly become uncomfortable. Can you talk about those things and what compels you uh, to do this work? Sure. Um, I think, you know, that there were kind of three things that happened for me so far. Okay. So a couple of things, um, and I'm definitely not done in this process. Um, I'm not an expert <laughs> at all in the field of anti-racist education. Sure. But one thing I think that 
first started happening for me is I started to become involved with the Institute for Composer Diversity okay. a couple of years ago. Um, and that kind of happened from being involved on Twitter and, you know, trying to follow, follow different musicologists and composers. I was interested in, in doing right. that. Um, and then I came across this institute run by Rob Deemer. Yes. <laughs> I, know, I know it because of you. Oh, great. Yeah, see? <laughs> see and it's all, all connected. That's right. Um, I think that's the great thing about social media is, you know, you can right. connect with people that you might not have ever met. So met Rob kind of through the interwebs, and he invited me to be a part of the Institute on their advisory council. So I was okay. doing that for a little while. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I don't know that I really had an impact there. So I told him, you know, maybe you should give my seat to somebody else. <laughs> Um, well, you know, because it was something I was thinking about that, you know, they have this advisory council and this is such an important um, institute, but, you know, here I am just another white woman who's kind of taking a, a seat. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't sure if that was really necessary for me to do to continue to work with them and share. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, that that happened for me. And then kind of get, getting involved with them, I realized on Twitter and other, other places that some of these conversations that we're having in K-12 music ed are kind of echoing some of the shifts that are happening in higher ed, especially in music theory, which has been interesting for me to kind right. of talk about. And both K-12 music ed, I feel like, and higher ed can move very slowly. Yes. The change is like incredibly, incredibly slow. Right, right. So I kind of felt a little bit of an affinity with people who are frustrated in both those areas that like, this is moving very slow and right. we want to see more change happening a little bit faster. So that was kind of the first part. Okay. And then while that's kind of going on over in the Fire Robin community, uh, we started having these conversations really started like last summer about the minstrel songs that are in the fire album right. materials. Right. And so that's going on. And I thought it was just really interesting to see the different reactions that we had in the community to being told, hey, this song is a minstrel song and here's what minstrel songs are. And then seeing just the, the reactions, for me, my reaction was, oh my goodness, I can't believe I was teaching. Sure. Song. <laughs> right, right, a lot right. Of people had that reaction, right? Yeah, yeah. There's certainly a, a variety of reactions. Yes, you know. definitely. And yeah. do you, you know, if you don't mind my asking, because this is something sure. I'm so fascinated by, you know, what for the people who were, and I know exactly, you know, what you're referencing and talking about as far as at the the page, the Facebook page, you know, we saw so much kind of strife and and a lot of fighting, to be honest, you know. Mm. And why do you think I had the same reaction as you? I mean, there were a couple times where I was like, oh, I really like this song for like t two minutes, you know. And then I would just say, okay, this is ridiculous. Why do you think so many people have this kind of intense reaction to being told this is a song you should not be using in your class. What mm -hmm. do you think it is? Well, I mean, this, I know this is just your opinion. You know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think everyone, including me, really wants to avoid discomfort. Sure. 
So it's not comfortable to say, I made a mistake. I did something that was harmful, you know? Hmm. And then I think there's also the thread that sometimes comes through, especially in Kodai circles, that says, well, but if you provide the right context, you can share just about anything. Which means like, if I tell you about this song, is, is that what that means? You yeah. Know, if, I, if I tell you, here's kind of the background of it, then it's okay for us to be... Yes, then, it, then it's okay to, you know, anything goes then maybe at that point. Sure. Um, it, to a certain extent, I kind of agree with that. But then I, I think it only goes so far, right? Yeah. And it depends on who you're teaching. You know, if, if sure. I'm teaching middle schoolers, sure, you know, I can, I can talk about these things with them. And, but with little kids, not to say you can't teach them context at all, not that, but I think the question is, why am I doing this? You know, my class is not a music history class. Yes. Um, I, do, I do blend in music history at times, but only to a certain extent in the, you know, in a first grade classroom. You know, it's I'm not there to teach them about, you know, book burning and, you know, we're not, that's not mm-hmm. what it's about. It's about making music, you right. know. It's, and so anyway, sorry the, to interrupt. The doing part of the lesson, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And so right. it's one thing to talk about high school kids, college kids and saying, you know, I'm teaching this song so that we can talk about it, I guess. But that seems pretty flimsy as an argument to me in the early childhood and elementary levels. Yes, I would agree. I think so too. Um, And I would even wonder about middle school. Sure. Absolutely. I just, I just am saying like, if I guess if you were going to make a case for it, you could start to say, you know, as they're learning more social studies, more civics, more, maybe you could do it. But yeah, yeah. I guess I'm just, I guess I just don't understand. And I've said this so many times, but I suppose it bears repeating. You know, I definitely get the feeling of, in anything in our lives, you know, being embarrassed, mortified, feeling sure. even shame at something and, and feeling just bad. You know, I did this bad thing. But I guess what I can't, what's difficult for me to, to kind of comprehend is not being able to move past that and kind of languishing in it and developing a whole defense system that kind of it's like a, a wall built around the defense of I'm not going to change. So yes. I was just curious what you thought. Um, that's interesting. And that's interesting the way you put it too just now, because yeah, that's what it, it feels me, like to me. It made me wonder, you know, is, is that like, Oh, the kind of uh, reaction that, Oh, I'm just, you know, so incredibly sad that this is happening right. to me for my favorite song. Yeah. Is it just another way of kind of wanting to be at the center of the... I guess. I mean, it certainly puts you at the center um, because the truth is I believe that a child, I mean, they might be sad, but there are so many songs to teach them that bring joy and help further the instruction that you're trying to do. It's just, it's just like I said, a thin argument to say, I must use this song to teach this concept it feels more to me like a defense of my stubbornness, you know, like, well, darn it. I've been teaching jingle bells and I'm going to keep on teaching jingle bells. Like I'd prefer to have that argument with somebody who is at least trying to say, I found some evidence 
of X, Y, and Z mm -hmm. that, you know, if they had some credible evidence that maybe, you know, were misguided, but just to say like, well, I don't care. I don't care. So I'm going to keep doing it. It's just digging your heels in, in a way that's so confusing to me. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, that was, that was my reaction also. Right. And then I guess my, my question for myself then is like, well, I'm still someone who's in this space where right. people are having these kind of cognitive dissonance or, right. well, maybe that's not the right word. But no, I think that's at least part of it. Yeah. Or, or on, they're maybe on the precipice of having mm -hmm. a, a yeah. dissonant moment. And like, what, what should my role be as another white educator who's also in that space? Yeah. And what do you yeah. think? What do you think your role should be? Or do you, have you figured it out yet? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, me too. Um, but I, I think there is a place for and a good role for some of the people that we had coming into our community who were really vocal and kind of very persistent. I think that was really excellent. <laughs> yeah. Because that, that really made me feel like, oh my gosh, well, what, what am I doing here? Why am I not questioning people? Hmm about um, not questioning it, like in, in terms of interrogating, but yeah, like, no, no, I understand. You know, why am I not pushing people more on this? Why, why have I just sat back and listened to things that I didn't agree with and just kind of rolled with it, right. which is, which is what I definitely did. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's been definitely a catalyst. So that was, for me. yeah, that was a big motivator for you to start asking questions and. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Okay. And then, so with that in mind, I think like the third kind of part of that has been, because that was last year. Right. Right. So some time has passed and some of the dust, I guess, has, has maybe settled. Right. Things come up again. But I think a lot of people want to see change continue. Right. And, and I'm definitely one of those people. I don't know if I'm the correct person to always speak about it, but I feel like I have to keep trying. Yeah, that seems like the right way to go. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure like all of us, we should be doing the right thing. And often we don't. And even when we try to do the right thing, we can make missteps and then just learn. But we can't, we can't let that dust settle right. for long. I mean, there might be a time for it to be a little more quiet, and then there's a time to kick up the dust when it's necessary. And I think you do a good job of that. I hope so. I'm going to keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because I was thinking about the other part is like, more recently, I've been thinking, well, do I stay in Kodai right. and Fire Robin? Right. I've you seen know. actually people talking about that. Like, uh, it's funny you're mentioning them because like on different places I've seen both sides like some people are like goodbye I'm just I'm over it right which I can understand there's part yeah. of that that I really I understand that there's a time for all of us when we're you know you could be deciding to leave a job you could be deciding to leave a relationship you know for me you know you could decide to leave a church you could decide and then there's a time to stay you know and and the question is what are you going to do when you stay yes you know, are you gonna fight it out stay quiet so were you going through something like that, kind of contemplating your place? Yes, and, and I honestly, I still am wondering, you know, 
is it the right thing for me to do to stay like I'm on the board of our local Kodai chapter I'm active in the fire Robin community I just joined the choral committee for fame and I'm excited about those things but then I the more I think about you know where we kind of are in music education hmm. at this moment it's an interesting time because you you look back and it was I wasn't even just thinking about this today it's like okay well we've got kind of these big strands in education, music education. We've got Kodai, we've got Orf, Fire Robin is a strand, and it kind of revolves around this almost sort of heroic fascination with like this one figure. Fig- yeah, this one figure, and, and they're, they're all white and European or of European descent. And it's, it's interesting to think about it kind of in that lens, like why... Yeah. Do we need to have that? Right. I mean, maybe we do. I, it, it feels like maybe we don't, or we just need to be more careful about knowing more about who those people were. Sure. And uh, what, you know, what kind of things were they reading back in the early 20th century? What kind of philosophies inspired their philosophy? And is right. that something that we really want to continue? Right. Or are there parts of it? Because I'm, I'm, I have those same kind of questions mm-hmm. in my head, or similar, of like, what's the difference between bringing change to something you love, you know, shedding the things that you think are unnecessary or harmful or whatever, you know, you that you don't want to carry forward? What do you want to bring forward? What changes do you need to make? Or when's the time to walk away? Yes. You know, I don't know if that's exactly what you're going through, but I know that these are things that I've thought a lot about. And, you know, I'm still in the mindset of, I think there's so much to really admire when I look at so much of the philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, So my questions remain the same, but I'll just keep moving forward. And if I shed things, I shed them. But it's interesting talking to another person who's, you know, at least thinking about these concepts, because, you know, there are a lot of people out there who I'm going to guess are like, I'm fine. Everything's good. You know, I'm not going to listen. Hey, I'll confess something that I, I was just thinking about this the other day. I'm like, I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast. I remember it was like in 2017, where I just felt this, I felt like a freight train was coming. I remember thinking this and looking at discussions that I was seeing about race, about Mm -hmm. repertoire. And I remember thinking, boy, this thing's coming. And Mm -hmm. I need to think about what this means to me. You know, what do I think about these things personally? What do I think about them for my students, etc.? And I remember having a moment where I said, you know what, that's too big for me. I don't, I'm no expert on issues of race, Mm -hmm. gender, you know, I'm happy here. I wasn't completely like, everything's fine. But I literally said to myself, I remember saying, I can't handle that. Like, I can't Mm -hmm. handle trying to grapple with racism on an institutional level. And so what I'm going to do is nothing. (laughs) I remember saying it like, if I just keep going with my normal thing that I've always done you know it's been successful but what was happening was as I was saying that it's like my eyes were open to other things 
that I was seeing from my students' perspective for the first time. Mm. And so I don't mean to go on so long about this. No, but no, no, you're, no, it's you're, great. You're kind of like talking to you is kind of bringing it up in my mind. And I just remember thinking, well, you know, I guess maybe the best way to think of this is I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to have to accept that I will make a lot of missteps in, in an area where, to be quite honest, it's scary to mm-hmm. make missteps. It's scary to make missteps when it comes to racism. Uh, Absolutely. You, you know, you, you feel like people are going to scream at me. I'm saying the wrong thing. But I just remember thinking, I guess I'm just going to have to, like, scrape some courage together. And really, this sounds cheesy, but it was true because of my students, you know, if I look at the face of every one of these kids in front of me, how can I ignore this? You know, how can I say to my school, which is like 30% Indian and Pakistani, we have a very, a fairly diverse population. How can I keep going, ignore these things that are kind of glaring? I can't. And I guess maybe that's why it's so hard for me to understand why people are so resistant when it, it's right there in their face. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> what are your comments to that gigantic diatribe that I just had? <laughs> no, I, I just completely empathize with what you were saying because I definitely feel the same way. It's not about me. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Right. What matters is the kids. Yep. Not to put to, you know, like your intention, because of course, impact is always more important than your intention, but intentions are not meaningless. You know, uh, that doesn't mean intention means nothing. I think if you're earnestly trying to change the world for your kids, hopefully there's some grace in your missteps. And yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And and then also to be just aware and open to someone saying, hey, you said this on the podcast with Missy and um, here's the problem with that. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, saying, oh, oh, I didn't realize that or yes, I didn't mean to say that. And um you know, I'm sorry. And here's how I can try to make it better. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And so important. And I think that that for me can be one of the hardest parts, I realize I get so wrapped up in worrying that I'm going to say something the wrong way, or, Mm -hmm. you know, offend one person, the other person that but I, I know that I'm coming to a place where I'm becoming more bold still. I, I'm at a place now where I'm learning to tell myself what matters is the truth. And for me personally, that I'm delivering it with as much love as I can, even if that love is hard. You know, even if I'm willing. And I, I have learned in the past since those things started happening on the Facebook page, I certainly have <laughs> had probably hundreds of offline conversations with people who are angry with me um, Mm -hmm. on both sides of the fence. And I was just sharing this, you know, one person will be telling me that I'm supporting racism. One person will tell me that I'm giving too much airtime to racism. One person, you know what I mean? I'm just kind of like constantly. And that's when it becomes very evident to me that I just, I can listen to those things and say, thank you. And I'm going to think about what you're saying, honestly, but I have to do, I have to do what I know is right mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Right. And so I think that's one thing I appreciate about how you handle things. You know, you're not like, oh, you boy, she's so polite and what, you know, it's not that. It's you're pressing for answers that need to things that need to be addressed. 
I hope you know? so. Yeah. No. And and there's a way to do it. And I think because you love the community, um, <laughs> that comes through. And I think that's a benefit. When you have somebody maybe outside of the community, that makes it tougher for people to hear them, I think, if that makes sense. Although that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to somebody mm-hmm. speaking to you. But I think you have extra cred because <laughs> you're part of the fire robin community and you're not just like coming from nowhere and saying change this change this take this out take you know it's like hey guys i love this but we need to it's like from you know that thing do you do you have any brothers or sisters i do i'm the youngest of four. Oh, okay so you have some <laughs> um i have a brother and i definitely was the poster child for like i will torture him to death but if you say one thing about my brother I'm coming for you and I think there is that feeling even as we grow up kind of like don't come at me if you don't have any skin in the game for this group of people Mm. um so again I'm I don't want to say that doesn't mean that somebody can't come in from outside of the group and and criticize it but I just think there's a lot more validity when somebody who's a member of the group says let's talk about X, Y, and Z. Yes. And so I appreciate that you do that. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I, my opinion is that I think what happened with the kind of, especially the minstrel song conversation and other conversations, I think what happened was for me exactly what needed to happen. Yeah. Because for me, I needed to hear people kind of from the outside coming in and saying, hey, this is really messed up. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. You know, what the heck are you going to do about this? Yeah. Like, I definitely needed that for myself. And so I appreciate that. And I'm always, I guess that I'm a very, like, really pretty shy and quiet person. But I love people who are, like, kind of loud in your face. like (laughs) Right, 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 right. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, and they make it, they can make it easier for you. It's, it's really paving the way for yeah. the conversation. So in that way, and I want to be clear, you know, I'm not saying don't criticize, you know, a group unless you're a part of the group, because what you're saying is exactly right. There are times when you need an objective, you know, in a certain way, person to come in and address things. But I, I think I'm thinking like as the conversations continue, it's really good to also have somebody from within the group saying Let's carry this torch forward. You know, let's not just be like, oh, good, they're gone. Let's well, forget about probably it. Probably the people who are coming in, you know, maybe have not watched every Facebook Live three times. Sure. I have. <laughs> oh, that's <it's> very sad. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just, I like the Facebook Lives. I've yeah. always been a fan of yours. Oh, and so, you. you know, I would put it on while I'm cooking dinner and like right. listening to it, not watching it. And I really absorbed all of the content that fame had to offer because I wanted to learn more. And I thought it was, there's a lot of really fascinating stuff to me. So then coming back and looking at it from a lens of equity and things that do need to change, you know, every once in a while someone will bring something up and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I remember this one thing that was said, and it just makes a connection for me. Like, I, we, we need to fix that. We sure. Need, sure. We need to talk about that. And what, what, right. How are we going to, are we going to keep this? Are we going to, like the donut songs? Yep. Yep. That's um, something I'm going through. Talking about a lot. Yep. And how we, how we talk about um, hip hop in the Fire Robin community. Right. Which is something that always 
kind of got to me, but I didn't feel comfortable saying, but I should have felt comfortable saying something. Yeah. Because I think sometimes it wasn't explicitly said we're talking about hip hop, but it was. It was implied. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I was one of the people doing it. So yeah. The mention of music and to me, I would hear that and be like, Ugh. right. <laughs> yeah. And in, in the first episode of this new podcast, Karen and I, Karen Howard and I talk about this pretty specifically how um, I came, you know, from a kind of conservatory training. And before that training, I was all about pop music, hip hop, everything. I love, 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 love that music. When I got to my training, I suddenly was ingesting this line that, Mm. you know, Western European art music was the epitome and the only guidepost for all musics. And so I remember kind of sublimating or, you know, just pushing down the music that I loved as baby food, you know, Mm. and like, this is, that is so interesting. Oh yeah. I remember doing that. Oh, absolutely. And it, I think I wasn't raised on that idea. I, it was the opposite. I was a pop music person and especially hip hop and R&B. And um, then I started hearing people around me at undergrad who were very earnest, you know, and, and that's what I started thinking. And actually, I'm going to do a whole show on this one day. I think that's what started hurting my voice, actually which I think is such an amazing concept that I started to press my voice to be what I thought it was supposed to be. Then, you know, 25 years of voice problems later, I'm like, hmm, when I used to sing that music, I had zero problems when I started doing this. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, go ahead. I'm curious about that. (laughs) Yeah. That's another episode. Oh, okay. Um, um, Can I ask you one question, though? Yes, of course. <laughs> so, were, do you feel like you started enjoying your voice when you were kind of, were you kind of trying to do like a bel canto? Kind? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And now, listen, if my beloved voice teacher is listening, because I know sometimes he has said to me, I wonder if I did this to you. And I always say, well, first of all, you didn't do anything. You were doing what you knew to do and you were never taught really to be honest to differentiate much mm-hmm. and so yeah it was there was I struggled very much now I struggled t- towards the end of my undergrad um not with pain mm-hmm. but what I now recognize as the beginning of what would become pain and I liken it to a bad relationship it's like bad habits that don't really hurt so much in the beginning or you know just seem not so consequential Mm -hmm. and they just become an amalgam of bigger and bigger or you know they become bigger problems so I remember like listening to this Bach oratorio and um, trying to sing it and just thinking I have to be something different like I'm not this voice, but I'm I gotta mimic this voice. Okay. And I think that's where the problems really started for me. And so here's the thing. I love classical music. I love art music. I still do, you know? But I also still love, you know, 
I always, you know, Stevie Wonder, Beastie Boys, you know, I still love all these things. But I think at that time, for about 10 years, I thought you couldn't do both. You cannot love both of these things because one is better than the other. And I think that that really infiltrated my thinking for a lot of time. (laughs) And so I am coming. Yeah, yeah. And I'm coming, I'm coming out of it. And I'm still struggling. And so, so thinking about that, you know, are these the kind of areas that you think specifically in the fire oven world, maybe the Kodai world, you know, need to be addressed? I mean, obviously, because you brought up the donut music thing, you know, are there other things? (laughs) Is it everything? I don't know if that's everything. I'm, I'm still, you know, that's something I'm so interested in. Um, like I was talking to you before about just trying to read more about what was the impetus for some of these philosophies to come about. Um, I didn't know until today that um, I just was doing a little bit of research. You were today years old, as the I young was, people I say. Was, <laughs> I was today years old. Oh, I never and, said that. You know, um, you know, we know kind of the story that, that we hear about Kodai, that um, he wanted to um, preserve Hungarian folk music, and it was, you know, related to wanting to um, differentiate from the German instruction. What? But I didn't know that he was very against Romani music and did not want mm. Romani music in his Hungarian schools because he thought, well, that's an instrumental music, and it's, it's less than the Hungarian folk music. Hmm. So you have this hierarchy coming out again. Yes. So it's not that, you know, he wanted to include this folk music and the music of the people, but it was a specific group of people in yeah. Hungary. So that, that's interesting to me to, to think about. And then just in current day, Kodai and Fire Robin, I think we really need to look at when we talk about the canon and the masterworks, hmm. because so many programs still have that in their syllabus like for Kodai certification is you need to have a certain amount of masterworks in your your repertoire and your in your folk research right in your binder and your... you know and it's implied that masterworks are western european classical music yeah. right um and so and that's and that's part of what could i believe too sure and many people still i would say the vast majority of people maybe that i know <laughs> I should say, I'll, let me preface it with that, you know, from my circle, I think would still, I, I was just talking to somebody today who I greatly admire, but I said, you're not going to like my new podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you should listen to it. Like, Why won't I? And I'm like, uh, you're going to hear some things that are really going to hit you hard. And instead of rolling your eyes, what I'd like you to do is just think about it think about the things you're hearing. I mean, this is more my MO is mm-hmm. more like, I want you to think before, <laughs> this is kind of funny because I never do it. Think before you talk. And <laughs> I think for me, that's something that I wish we could have more and more honest conversations about the, the things about the, the canon, you know, what does this mean? Because then you get the people who are saying like, oh, so you're just throwing it all out. Well, no, for me, I'm not throwing it all out. I'm, all right. I'm, I'm adding to it. But I, I love that. I love how, though, how you 
sit, describe how you're talking to your friend because that's something I, I kind of want to get better at. Uh, not kind of. I definitely want to get better at. Um, sometimes I might have like an angry reaction and sure. say, well, you don't know about this and blah, you know. Right, right. <laughs> and, and I don't know if I'm doing a good enough job opening the door for the conversation to take place. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, um, I don't know if there's like, this is the right way, this is the right way, this is the right way. I think there are 20 right ways, depending on, you know, the person to whom you're speaking, the situation in which you find yourself. Um, my intention is, you know, I don't, I don't enjoy immediately alienating somebody. And at the same time, I don't want to coddle someone in order to not hurt their feelings. What I want to do is have like a real relationship with somebody, you know, no matter how intense it is, it doesn't have to be, you know, super close friends, but you know, I just want to show, I really care about you and I really care about how, what you think, but I hope you understand that I also am okay challenging what you think mm -hmm. be because I think that's a fair thing for us to do. Um, when we care about each other is I'm going to applaud you when you need it. And I'm going to challenge you when you need it. Like I said to you before, I think you, I think you do this well because you're just like, we got to talk about this. Obviously this is a conversation that has to keep going on. If we want to really sustain, if it's necessary to sustain the methodology, you know, if that's the question, I guess. Oh, I have a great quote. Let's hear from a composer. <laughs> I hope it's a woman composer. It no, yes, it's a woman composer is <laughs> so Layali Shacker. She's okay. um, Lebanese American composer. She lives in New York, and her quote is: "See if I can remember it. Um, for tradition to continue, it needs to change and transform. It needs to come out of its box." Hmm. It's so funny because I never thought that I would never have thought that five years ago. It's and I've changed. <laughs> so, you know, and so it's that's a great quote, but it's scary. And me, too. I don't know if I would have questioned a lot five years, let's say five years ago. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a lot of things I just for me, I just didn't know because um, I was always told that, well, there weren't any women composers or any um, composers of color, you know, in, in the olden times. Right. And it's not true. Right. They were all just being like pressed down so you couldn't they were, learn right. about them. And they're just, you know, been a lot of times actively written out of history, you know. And so um, the idea that they just haven't endured because their, their music was not, you know, of the quality right. is just false because there, it was an active effort to not continue them yeah not remember them yeah that might seem to many people like well duh of course that was happening but the truth is like when I think about that I actively thought that I didn't think about women composers it just didn't even see which is so stupid I'm a woman and I'm smart and I'm talented <laughs> you know like it shouldn't be like a long shot I remember learning about Clara Schumann <laughs> of course that's your mm -hmm. that's your girl Alma Mahler and thinking like oh these are just kind of like aberrations you know, like they just kind of rose to the top and were very good. But like when I, I've when it's that before too. Yeah. Kids. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't even talk about that. So. <laughs> but 
<laughs> yeah. And I mean, I just got to a place where, like, it hit me. Well, why wouldn't the same thing be happening to them that was happening to everybody else that was not, to be quite honest, a white man mm-hmm. of European descent? And if you're rolling your eyes at that as I say it, it's very possible you're a white man of European descent. I'm just saying. So, you know, just to think about this idea of I had this vision of the reason I didn't hear about composers and musicians or, you know, of color and women was because there weren't any, you know, Mm -hmm. of note when really it's we actively suppressed them and erased them, which is a thousand times. Well, both are bad. And what a revelation that is. Yes. It's interesting to see people's reactions to that, going back to talking about reactions. Because for me, that is so exciting. I'm like, oh my goodness, there's all this music that I didn't know, this new-to-me music that I can listen to now. Right. And then sometimes another person's reaction, like you were correctly saying, maybe if you're rolling your eyes. (laughs) Right. You might be someone who's benefited from, from having yes. The, um, yes. the system. And speaking as someone who, who has benefited from, from the system too, myself as a white woman. But, you know, it's exciting for me, but then maybe to someone else, it's like, well, wait, if you're doing that, then are you going to stop talking about Beethoven? And, and didn't you know that it's Beethoven's birthday today? How could you? Right, <laughs> right. And Beethoven is... Beethoven you know that it doesn't take away no it doesn't take away yeah I think that's what you hear a lot like now you're gonna erase you know Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and you know I don't know how you could do that even if you're like I'm gonna do that like I'm gonna erase these men from existence yeah I don't I mean you you couldn't anyway but yeah is that a similar conversation to the the reaction that people have? Like, oh my gosh, you're taking away these songs that I've loved for yeah, so many years. I think so. It, it must be. I mean, certainly there's some kind of relationship between those. I mean, it's just what we've known. Mm-hmm. You know, and why have we known it? It's been what's been presented to us. And why has it been presented to us? It's because the power structure that's in place forwards these things. And that doesn't mean they're not great composers and phenomenal, you know, pieces of music. But you have to think about the flip side of that coin. Who was knocked out? Yes. To kind of hold up these things. And I just think, like, you know, when you start talking like this, people, I just have seen it over and over again. You know, it's just kind of like, of course, roll the eyes, you know, like oh, here we go with your political correctness and your, you know, I'm just, when I have conversations now, I ask people not to use those terms and just listen to the, listen to the concepts that I'm talking about. Political correctness. Yeah. Or, or, you know, like I kind of lump everything into that, but, you know, don't go to your normal, your default mechanism Mm. um, because what you're doing is saying, shut up, basically. Yes. And I'm going to listen to you. Like, if you want to argue with me about something, I will listen. I will listen. It may be very hard, but I'm going to listen, and I, I'm going to demand the same back. Sure. And that's hard for people. It's hard for me. <laughs> to be available to listen. Yeah, even when, they're, you know, when people are saying things that are really troubling to me, 
you know. But like I said, I feel like to get people at the table, you have to, you have to be able to listen and really try to process what they're saying. I, I guess, I don't know, that's maybe, you know, my friend saying I'm too diplomatic, but I really do believe that it's, it's building good faith because they really believe that. So I want to hear it. And then I want to have gained enough clout to now say what I believe and see if I can persuade, you know, because I can't sit there going like, are you done? Are you done? Like, this is so <laughs> stupid. This is so, you know, I have to be able to say, okay, I hear, I hear what you're saying. You're scared. You don't understand. You feel guilty. I said to Karen Howard, there's a lot of, I think just self-loathing that people have <laughs> that, you know, it's, it just keeps turning in on them and they feel so defensive when it's yeah, like, I can't feel good. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And I, yeah, I've, and I've had, thankfully not too, too many people, but when it's happened, it's been very difficult to hear a very strong critique of something I've said about racism or whatever. And I, I literally have to say to myself, practice what you preach, sit here and listen Yes, And I've done it. And that's actually some of the best, those are some of the best moments I've had. And also some of the most painful when I've just said, instead of fighting back, mm -hmm. I just say, okay, I'm just gonna, I know that I just, I'm always like saying this sounds cheesy. I'm going to sit here <laughs> for a second. You know, I'm just going to sit and listen because I'll tell you the truth. I want to fight, but maybe you're right. Maybe I need to consider this. And that is just something I don't see. People saying, maybe I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, so the way I say it is I have to be willing to admit that it's possible that I'm wrong. Yes. Which is hard for me. It's hard <laughs> for me too. Yeah. So we're coming towards the end. There's so much that we've talked about. I think there's so much to consider, even in what we've just talked about. I as we kind of come to the end of the question that I was asking you about the fame, the fame community, the fire robbing community in particular. And again, this is just your opinion, just my opinion. <laughs> uh, when we're talking about things that you look at and say, I would really like to see a different, you know, perspective or choice. Is there anything that you have in mind when you think of something like that for, for the fame community, particularly? Um, sure, definitely. Um, kind of going back to the conversation that we had about the canon and about masterworks. One example that always comes back in my mind over and over is um, one of our masterworks in Fire Abend is Ferdy Grophy's Grand Canyon Suite. Ah, from Conversational Soulfish. Yes. Conversational. Yes. It's the one with like the donkey claps, like... Right, 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 right. Oh, yes, I know it well. I yeah. did it in my apprenticeship. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> Again, it has the two against three. Right. And, you know, it's a cool piece. And it's kind of hilarious piece. Right. But then I look at that and I think, gosh, you know, is this really a masterwork when, you know, we don't have any representation by any woman composer and we don't have any composers of color on the, the masterworks. And, you know, can we really say these are the highest pinnacles? Of, right. Or like, of, isn't there another option? You just have to work hard to find it until, until it becomes more 
known? I think so. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'd like to see, you know, if not, not things swapped out necessarily, but, uh, but things added and just, I think there's a lot of interest in the Fire Robin community to learn more about different composers that are not represented in the literature. I think there's definitely an interest in that. So I'd like to see um, that reflected more in the print. What is something that you would use or you do use in the place of that piece? Um, in, in the place, just it to, if I wanted to have something in that pr- particular unit. Um, yeah, sure. I don't have something in mind for that. Okay, okay. But um, you're saying we should we should be looking... Or there are pieces that we can use. Yes, I believe so. That will introduce diversity into the repertoire. Exactly. Like to me, I think, you know, Florence Price comes to mind as someone that if you're going to have masterworks listed. Right. You need to have Florence Price in there somewhere. Okay. And I think that people, (laughs) yeah, people don't, people just don't know. And I think Rob's project Mm -hmm. is really great from that. And we can put that in the episode notes for people to, you know, look at and learn from. And I'd like to put up, you have shared, I saw it on a different page, a checklist of action items that you have for this year. Is it something you've done in the past or is this the first year you've done this? This is the first year. I just came up with it and I think, um, I always had it kind of in my head, but I let me write it down because I had the idea that kind of what you were saying is like, well, I can be thinking about this, but if I don't share it with other people, right. what my thinking is or, or, you know, what I'd like to see change, then I'm not being really effective. I just look back at it today and, oh, <laughs> I remember writing this and thinking this is really important, but am I following right. you, you know, so yeah. Have something to refer to and also to make sure it was important to me to put things on there that are um, things that I'm going to be backing financially. Yeah. So thinking about, you know, I teach in a school that, that, that we have luckily some budget to use and we have a strong PTA, you know, even if, if I didn't have that, I, I can know how to leverage, you right. know, crowdfunding. Yeah. We need to put financial backing into some of these ideas to pay artists. Yep. And I, I love that. It's just a practical thing because I think when it comes to these issues, things about diversity and equity and all this, it just becomes overwhelming to people. You know, if you think about what I said, it was so overwhelming that I literally shut it out of my mind. Like I'm not dealing with racism, (laughs) you know? And like I said, I could, I couldn't sustain that. But if I have a practical list that says bring in, a composer of color, you know, Mm -hmm. then I have to actually grapple with that one thing instead of being overwhelmed. So um, if you're okay with that, we're going to share that checklist of yours and hopefully we'll inspire people to make even a small part of that or even one thing, you know, that they see on your list. Like one. Yeah. Like I I thought of that as I looked at it, I started to feel overwhelmed and then I'm like, you know what? (laughs) I can work on this thing. And that mm-hmm. inevitably, I believe, will lead to a second thing, which will lead, you know, it's like when I started hearing people like support black businesses. 
mm-hmm. at first I was kind of like, I don't know how, like, how do I pick and how do I, you know, I feel like a poser. Like, am I just being performative? Am I just, and I'm like, just do it. <laughs> you know, just like see something, buy it from this, you know, this black business owner and you're starting the process. Right. It doesn't have right. to be perfect. Someone might say, hey, that's performative, but right? at the end of the day, right. you still, the dollars still went in. Sure. And that's, and that's what I mean. Like, as you get into the practice of doing it, maybe you find out, maybe that's not the best way, or maybe it is, and maybe I want to do it more. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, but if you're doing nothing, it's almost like you're paralyzed and using it as an excuse. Like, well, I just can't yes. deal with this. So I like your list and... Is it okay if we share it on the episode? Yeah, and I hope that you know anyone who checks the list out or maybe writes a list of their own, they want to reach out to me. And I'm I'm I always have an open door policy on my Facebook messages and email. I love to chat with people and see what they're thinking and just bounce ideas around. Yeah, that's great. And so I appreciate that you are willing both to share those things to question things and that you're literally saying, if you have, you know, if you have questions, you know, reach out to me, you know, but you can have a discussion. I have a lot of opinions. Yeah. Oh, I got <laughs> lots of those. <laughs> I have an unending supply of opinions for everyone. Ask my kids <laughs> and my husband. <laughs> um, but thank you so much. Uh, for being willing to be here and to be vulnerable. You know, this is a vulnerable position to be in. And I appreciate your willingness uh, to talk and to be on the podcast. And thank you for being such um, a good member of the Fire Robin community for these years. Well, I I don't know if I can justify, you know, staying in (laughs) and not kind of being a pain in the neck about it. Yeah, sure. Hey, that's what I do. I've actually been doing that from the beginning about all different things. <laughs> um, you're fun. You're fun paying. <laughs> that's right. You hear that, everyone? That's an official edict right there. <laughs> anyway, so thank you for being here on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Missy. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, um, I really unloaded a lot in this episode. It can be surprising to talk about these issues and hear what comes out as you work through them. Miriam is a great person to discuss these things with, and I have always appreciated her dedication to doing right by her students and her courage to speak out in the general music ed and the fire and communities. I hope you will take her up on her offer to reach out if you need to dialogue. Her info is on the episode page, along with the resources mentioned in the episode and a few others she's wanted to highlight as well. You have questions for me or want to send in questions or comments for me to talk about on air? Send them to musicedwithmissy at gmail.com or reach out on Twitter at DocStrong26 or on Instagram or Facebook at musicedwithmissy. The podcast is co-edited and engineered by Jeremy Strong, who, along with our son Owen, wrote the music and performed it for the podcast. I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it if you would share this podcast with your friends and colleagues, and if you would be willing to subscribe and rate it wherever you listen, well, that is only going to help us get the word out to more and more teachers. 
As always, I thank you for spending time with me. I know you're busy, and I know that life demands a lot from you. I hope that this time was worthwhile and that you are motivated to reflect on your philosophy and practice. I'll see you next time. But until then, keep doing all you can to create a more musical, thoughtful, and just world for your students, their families, and your community. Thank you.